Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Now, thank you for your feedback and excitement around these podcasts. And thank you for sharing the podcast link with your friends. Last week, we added over 1,000 new listeners, and I'm thrilled that you found them helpful and encouraging. I'm just grateful to be a part of a tremendous community of podcasters who are trying to serve by sharing their experiences with others. So wherever you're listening today, whether in the car or on your daily walk or run or just part of your daily inspiration time, I hope today we can learn something that will help you as you strive to reach your goals and fulfill your purpose. Now, if you want to find the home base for these podcasts, just go to openyoureyes.org. From there, you can find the best place to listen and subscribe. So let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about being inspired. 760 miles south of Japan sits a small volcanic island about three miles long called Iwo Jima. The island has little appeal or practical value, except it's perfectly located halfway between Guam and Japan. And as a result, in World War II, The U.S. needed the island as an aircraft refueling stop for bombers and the home for short-range fighters who would protect U.S. bombers coming from Guam on their way to Japan. But the island was in Japanese control, and there were 21,000 Japanese soldiers on the island who were there to fight to the death. They were living in an extensive network of caves that intertwined for 17 miles underground, hidden from the view of U.S. forces. In February 1944, the U.S. Navy began to bomb the island relentlessly. For three days, this continued. And soon, over 30,000 U.S. Marines would come ashore and more would follow. Among those that would follow was Millen Fowler, my grandfather, and he would later receive four medals of commendation for his service. The beachhead battle was fierce. When the gates fell on the transport ships to let out the U.S. soldiers, men were instantly sprayed with bullets. The Japanese sat atop the cliffs and sprayed the beach with these high-caliber shells, and thousands of U.S. soldiers would die before they could get off the black sand beach. However, after thousands had died and the beach secured, the real battle for the island commenced. On February 23rd, six Marines from the 2nd Battalion were ordered to go atop a large volcanic hill called Mount Suribachi and raise the U.S. flag. The hill was behind Japanese lines. And despite the danger, once they arrived atop the hill and raised the flag, Jay Rosenthal, a photographer, snapped a photo. As the flag went up, however... The Secretary of Navy had just landed on the beach and he wanted the flag as a souvenir. So unbelievably, another patrol was ordered to the top to replace the flag. As they reposted the colors, Rosenthal took another photo. Now, three of the men in that photo would not survive the next two days. And in total, 6,800 U.S. Marines would lose their life on Iwo Jima, nearly twice the number of people killed in 9-11 and 18,000 servicemen were injured. All of this for a tiny 11-square-mile volcanic rock in the Pacific. 
Now, historians have argued the wisdom of taking Iwo Jima given the extreme loss of life, and they have definitely argued the wisdom of the Secretary of Navy ordering two patrols to risk their life to post the U.S. flag atop a volcanic hill in the middle of the battle. You know, I think we all wonder sometimes if our current efforts or job or life's choice of work is worth the effort. For sure, if you're a parent, you wonder if the time spent in routine things or days helping a son or daughter practice the piano or any other number of chores are really worth the effort. Sometimes at work or in your new business, it's tough at times to be inspired and not wonder if you should abandon your cause. If so, remember Iwo Jima. In the end, the photo, the second photo of these men raising the flag became the most famous photo of the war. It would be published on the cover of almost every major magazine. It would win a Pulitzer Prize in photography. It would stand for courage and bravery. And you know the photo with five soldiers attempting to post the flag. Later, the U.S. Marine Corps War Memorial was built depicting that photo. Now it's a world-famous statue at Arlington, Virginia. That posting of the flag inspired. It inspired thousands of soldiers, including my grandfather, on the ship surrounding Iwo Jima. And it inspired the nation in the midst of a world war. Now, some have argued the photo itself did more good to win the war than the taking of Iwo Jima itself. That just illustrates the power of being inspired. Imagine if you and I could harness the power of being inspired. So the question is, what makes a thing or a person or a life inspired? And how do we live inspired? You've likely met inspired people. We all have. They seem to have something that others don't. Think about inspiring people in history. Martin Luther King was inspired Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech delivered to over 250,000 civil rights supporters from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. was the defining moment of the civil rights movement. And few people know that the prepared text to King's transformative dream speech did not contain the passage, I have a dream, which is the phrase that most of us remember. Something extraordinary happened during the speech to change it from a good oratory to one considered the greatest speech of the 20th century. In his book, Behind the Dream, speechwriter Clarence B. Jones tells the story of what really happened. The story begins the night before the speech, Tuesday, August 27, 1963. A group of seven individuals, including Jones, had gathered with King at the Willard Hotel to add their input to the text of the final speech. King asked Jones to take notes and turn those notes into cohesive remarks that he would deliver on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial the next day. Well, the next morning, King's speech was finished and copies were delivered to the press. And fast forward a few hours later when King was delivering the speech. If you watch the video online, you'll notice that King is looking down a lot during the first part of the speech because he's reading from the text. A pleasant shock came over me, wrote Jones, as I realized that Dr. King seemed to be reciting what I had scrawled down the night before in my hotel room. However, in the seventh paragraph, something extraordinary happened. King paused. And in that brief silence, Mahalia Jackson, a gospel singer and good friend of King's, shouted, 
Tell them about the dream, Martin. Tell them about the dream. Now, few people heard her with the exception of Jones and Ted Kennedy and, of course, King. And here's what happened next. Jones saw King push the text of his prepared remarks to one side of the lectern. He shifted gears in a heartbeat, abandoning whatever written text that he'd prepared as if he'd given himself over to the spirit of the moment. Jones leaned over to the person standing next to him and said, these people out here today don't know it yet, but they're about to go to church. King improvised much of the second half of the speech, including the I have a dream refrain. It does not mean that King completely made up the words on the spot. In fact, King had delivered that now familiar refrain, at least a version of it, two months earlier at Cobo Hall in Detroit. Mahalia Jackson knew the power of being inspired, and she knew the power King had inside of him, but the written script was keeping the people from feeling his inspiration. She had the sense that hearing about a vision of the future, a dream of what could be, would transform that speech into what it has become in our day. You see, until Dr. King connected with the real purpose inside him and let those real feelings be visible, the speech was just another speech. Afterwards, it was a transformation for a nation. That is the difference, the power, the result, when we let the inspired part of us take over. So again, the question is, what makes a thing or a person or a life inspired, and how do we live inspired? Well, let's start with a clear definition of what inspired is. It is an infusion of an idea or purpose into the mind that awakens or creates a lasting feeling and leads to action. You know, my father's principal advice when I headed off to college was this. Don't take courses. Take professors. What did he know that I didn't? Well, he knew that I would learn more, become more, and become inspired by being with inspiring people. I learned this in my own doctorate research, that when we let inspiring people and words into our life, we change. We get inspired. But being inspired is more than just a momentary thing. A great educator once said, suppose that you were going to be stranded on an island for the next four years, and you could take with you the works of any 10 authors. Which 10 books would you take? Because during your time in isolation, you would read every thought and consider every idea that each author had ever thought, and you would rethink those ideas over and over again. The psychologists say that when you run an idea through your brain, it makes a little groove or impression. And if you run through your mind the kind of ideas that went through the mind of Shakespeare or Emerson or the Apostle Paul or other great thinkers and leaders, then your brain would tend to be imprinted and respond as their brains did. By learning from inspired people, we, in fact, become inspired. Now, not long ago, two researchers from the University of Rochester were highlighted in the Harvard Business Review. They conducted groundbreaking research on inspiration. As they began their research, they first assessed whether being inspired is a measurable state, meaning, is it possible that sitting among us are inspired people and not inspired people? And then second, 
They wanted to learn whether it is a character trait like being honest or humble. Now, what they discovered is that when they administered their inspiration measurements to a large population of individuals, they saw significant variation. So they learned that some people live inspired and others do not. And second, when readministering the test after several months, they saw that the state or condition of participants didn't change. Meaning, being inspired was a trait, like being loyal or humble or honest. In other words, people are inspired. They live inspired. Now, these researchers went on to study those who were inspired to discover what correlating characteristics they possessed. And what did they find? What are the characteristics of an inspired person? Well, gender, age, and GPA didn't matter. Smarts didn't matter. What profession they practiced didn't matter. Most personality traits, extroversion, charisma, agreeableness, didn't matter. Inspired people had the following characteristics. First, they had more intrinsic motivation. What does it mean to be intrinsically motivated? Well, the opposite is extrinsic motivation, and it occurs when we're motivated to perform a behavior or engage in an activity to earn a reward or to avoid punishment. For example, if you study because you want to get a good grade or you clean your room to avoid being reprimanded by your parents, that's extrinsic motivation. Intrinsic motivation is engaging in a behavior because it's personally rewarding essentially performing an activity for its own sake rather than the desire for some reward. For example, you participate in a sport because you find it enjoyable, or you solve a word puzzle because you find the challenge of it fun and exciting. Conventional thinking would say, reward the behavior you want and you'll get more of it. But 50 years of psychological research says humans are much more complicated than that. In fact, with your children, you will likely undermine their ability to build lasting motivation if you focus on extrinsic rewards. If you try to force or bribe your children to take piano lessons, for example, it won't last. If your children become enthralled, however, because of the progress they make, they feel fulfilled because of the feedback you give and the experience and joy of playing the piano, then it will last. Major research has shown that you can increase someone's intrinsic motivation in three ways. The first is frequent feedback to help them see their growth. In 2010, a research study divided study participants into two groups. Their task, using a stopwatch, the participants were to stop the watch exactly on five seconds. One group was called the reward group, and they were given a reward to participate in the test. For the other group, no reward was given, but they received frequent feedback on their progress. What the participants didn't know is they were being measured on their success rate and what happened during break time. Interestingly, hardly anyone from the reward group practiced during the break, and almost everyone from the non-reward feedback group practiced during their free time, and their success rate was significantly higher. The research reported that the pursuit of competence had a dopaminergic effect, meaning a dopamine energy effect. Feedback was essential to their intrinsic motivation. The second characteristic of those that were inspired is they made meaning of things. 
In a 2009 research study, 250 high schoolers were tested as to how journaling impacted their success in school. One half wrote only a historical summary of what they learned in class for a reward. The other half were not given a reward, but were asked to write about the usefulness of the class material in their lives, not just a summary of the events. The latter group continued journaling for much longer and had significantly higher grades at the end of the semester. You see, the more they came to their own conclusion that the material helped them in life, the more they were motivated. The third characteristic, learn together. In recent research, children were asked to learn a difficult puzzle, and half the children were told that they would be working with another child who had learned the task weeks ago. The other half of students were told they would be working with a child who was learning alongside them. Which group do you think spent more time working, reported more joy in the process, and learned the task better? That's right. The group that learned together. There's something that enters into our very being when we are growing and learning. And it's even more powerful when we are growing and learning together. Now, this is important stuff. How can you live inspired? How can you begin to transform into a person that has the character trait of being inspired? Be open to regular feedback, make meaning of what you're doing, and learn with others. So let's say you want your children to be inspired in school. Well, help them get regular positive feedback, relay what they're learning to their life, and help them learn alongside others. Or let's say you've started a new business. Do the same. Seek regular feedback, make meaning of what you're doing, and learn with other members of your team. Think about it. Organizations who have a leader who has all the answers or or has to have the last say in everything over time will develop a team that is dependent on extrinsic motivation to sustain action. But leaders who are sources of positive feedback, meaning-making, and team-oriented are inspiring. Now, you may be thinking, I've never really been an inspiring person. I'm not a good speaker. I don't do things that are recognized as extraordinary. I'm ordinary. Most people don't see me as a leader. Well, here's the thing. Living inspired has nothing to do with speaking. The most inspiring people I know, most people would consider ordinary. And the truth is, you are inspired. When you reflect on yourself or you see your reflection, when you look in the mirror, I hope you see what I see, what your family and what your team and your maker sees, your inspiring potential. Every day in every city on your team, you can make more of a difference than you imagine. And deep within you is something inspiring. You were not made to be invisible. You were made to be invincible. And you are not here on this earth to just get by, to travel the regular route. You were not made to dwell on the small rises of life, but to climb, to post your flag on the mountains that matter in life, to inspire and lift, create and magnify, to encourage and infuse and amplify and grow good inside of you and the people around you. Some of you are like a potted plant I used to have in my office. It was a sizable tree, but it only grew so tall and then it stopped. One day, the container was in crack, so we pulled the tree out of the container, and I noticed something. There was very little dirt. The roots had grown right up against the container. It had no room to grow. It needed to be repotted. And like my tree, some of you have built 
comfortable containers around your life. You've sought out the comfortable. And in so doing, you leave little room for inspiration. It's time to open yourself up and repot yourself in more inspired ground with plenty of room to grow. So be willing to let go of whatever is holding you back and let the inspired feeling of what you can do work inside of you. Perhaps you haven't felt inspired lately because you've become comfortable. You see, sails that go unused soon wither. Ships that don't sail soon crack. And the truth is, ships were not made to sit in the harbor where the water is smooth. They were made to sail in the ocean where there are risks and danger. The other day, I was at a ball game, and for whatever reason, we had a group of students in front of us. And as the game started, they wouldn't sit down. They were standing and cheering. So a guy sitting in front of me started yelling, down in front, down in front. The students didn't turn around, but as he persisted, soon the students started to chant together, up and back, up and back. And it wasn't long before I remembered my team spirit and I was standing with them. And I realized the students were inspired. I wasn't. I was comfortable sitting and watching. Inspired was standing, cheering, and encouraging. You know, as human beings, we're not designed to do things that are uncomfortable, scary, difficult, or uncertain. You will never feel like it. So how do you change that? Get in the game, even if you don't think you can. Some of you know my friend Jake Olson, who, when he was just a baby, he was diagnosed with retinoblastoma, cancer of the eye. One of his eyes was immediately removed to prevent cancer from spreading. And for the next 13 years, he would endure numerous surgeries and rounds of radiation and chemotherapy, only to be told at the age of 13 that he had lost his battle with cancer and he would have to lose his other eye. The surgery was scheduled for a few weeks later. He spent his last days with sight doing several things. He played golf with his dad and friend at Pebble Beach. You see, his dream was to return there as a professional to be the first blind professional golfer, and he wanted to remember the course. Next, he wanted to decorate his house for Christmas, so Brian and Cindy, his parents, pulled the Christmas boxes from the attic and decorated the house several months before Christmas. Their house was the only one in the city with Christmas lights at the time, and he wanted to attend a USC football game. Now, the news of his wish reached Coach Pete Carroll, who was the coach of USC at the time. And Coach Carroll invited him to the Notre Dame-USC game in South Bend, Indiana. Jake would go on the field and spend the day with the football team. Now, I met Jake a few years later after he lost his sight. And you would think that Jake would consider himself out of the game. Unable to play golf, unable to play football, right? I mean, you need your sight to do that. But Jake loves golf. He went to the local course several times a week with his dad, and they worked on his swing, his timing, and accuracy. You see, golf rules allow another person to line up your shot when you're blind, and Jake's dad would do that for him. And before long, Jake was golfing and golfing with remarkable scores, scores like the best players his age who had sight. And Jake loves football. He was born to play. His father's six feet, four inches tall and built big. And Jake is destined to be bigger. 
And before he lost his sight, Jake played center on his little league team. He knows everything about the game. But when he lost his sight, he lost his chance to play football, right? No, you see, Jake lives by a simple motto. Start by doing what's necessary, then do what's possible, and suddenly you're doing the impossible. When Jake was in high school, he decided to play football. He found the only position where you can't be hit by the other side is the long snapper. A long snapper snaps the football to the person who holds the football for field goals, and you can't hit this player without a penalty. But how can you be a long snapper if you're blind? Well, Jake found a way. 1,000 snaps a day. With that, he became the starting long snapper at his high school, one of the largest schools in Southern California. And by the way, who do you think caught those 1,000 snaps a day? His dad. When Jake arrived at USC as a student, he decided to try out for the football team. Now, you should know that a blind person has never played in a Division I college football game, let alone for a prestigious team like USC. But sure enough, after three years of being on the practice field without sight, Jake became the first blind player in Division I football to play in a game when he long snapped for the USC football team. Jake is inspiring. He had every reason not to be in the game. But instead, he chose to just get started by doing what's necessary. Then he did what was possible. Then he did the impossible. Now, I don't believe that Jake has the corner on the market for being inspired. But he did something that few of us ever do. He got in the game for however long it took to play on the field. So, if you've been out of the game for a while, start by doing what's necessary. You see, when you do... You become motivated from the inside. You don't need lots of external rewards. You find the joy of it on your own. And things take on greater meaning, further fueling your motivation. As a young 14-year-old boy, my family's home was in an earthquake. And as a result, the house was split in two and declared unsafe. We had no earthquake insurance. And my father had just lost his job and my mother had just given birth to premature twins who would spend months in the hospital. We had no money or means out of the situation. My father found a job 400 miles away, and we had to decide what to do with the house. Do we walk away from it, or could it be moved to a new location? We decided to move it. Because we had no money, my dad and I moved everything we could ourselves. We disassembled the garage, the basement, board by board. We ferried the materials and our possessions in a U-Haul truck to our new home. Now, a kind friend loaned us a piece of land. My dad used his last savings to pour a foundation, and we went to work rebuilding the house. He would wake me up early to work before school, and after school, we'd work until we couldn't work anymore. It was a tough time for me. New school, new friends. Usually in the fall, I was at football practice, but not that season. I was home working, helping my family. I didn't have friends. I prayed a lot, asking God to bring a miracle to our family. But no bundle of money was ever dropped on our doorstep. Now, you would think it was the worst season of my life. But in fact, it was the most meaningful and inspiring. I learned to work. 
I got the rare opportunity to be alongside my father in the most trying time of his life, and his characteristics rubbed off on me. Hard work, humility, determination, and I became a different person. Today at the age of 57, while I'm not a lot of things, I am a hard worker. I am also, like my father, a bit determined. You see, that inspiring time as a young man was a turning point in my life. I wouldn't be surprised that when I pass on and the curtains are pulled back and God shows me why things unfolded the way they did in life, that the earthquake and the trials we experienced happened in part for me to learn what I learned. That thought inspires me. Some of you have been sitting in your pot for a long time, trying to decide when you will finally let the spirit of what you have felt about your job, your business, your life, or yourself inspire you to stand up and get in the game. It's time. When you do, everything changes. Yes, it'll be hard work. Yes, it'll take sacrifice. Yes, there will be disappointments. But, oh, when you're inspired, you find something unexpected. You find who you really are, and what you can become. And the truth is, you are inspired. You were meant to do your business or to write that book or to lose that weight. And it's time. It's your time. It's time to raise the flag. Remember, up and back. Rise, rise to be that inspired person you can be. And as we come to a close today, remember, take a lesson from Martin Luther King and Jake Olson and live inspired. If you will take a step to be more inspired, I promise your day will come where you will rise to be what your maker, your team, and what you intended. Thanks for being here today. We'll talk about next steps to opening your eyes in our next podcast. I look forward to being with you again soon.